Well, friends, I tell you what, we are drinking uh, from the fire hose, aren't we, as we enter the New Testament? I mean, when we study the life and the ministry of Jesus, it's just, it's almost, it's almost too much. Um, but that's what we're doing here in week 25 of the story. We're focusing on kind of the tail end of Jesus' ministry. And uh, this chronological walk through, uh, really not a walk, it's a chronological sprint through the Bible is what it is. And we especially feel the speed of that sprint when we hit the New Testament. We've just covered such large chunks. We're going to do that again this morning. I pray that the Lord would open our minds and our hearts uh, to some really important truths and questions that we have to answer ourselves. Okay, so join me in a word of prayer if you don't mind. Father, um, we're so thankful for allowing, uh, you allowing us to gather here. The, the ability to assemble in your name. Uh, God, I'm thankful for um, what we just experienced. Lord, uh, though Josh is definitely not a babe by any, any uh, sense of the word, he's a, he's a man, uh, but so good to have a young man lead us in worship like that. Uh, God, I pray that you'd bless him as he continues to pursue you and all that life might have for him. Father, I pray for us now as we gather here in your name uh, that you would bless us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to come now and to take your proper place in our church, at this pulpit, as our teacher and our guide. We recognize that is, that is your role here in, in this church. We ask that you would lift up Jesus, that he might draw all of us closer to himself. And Jesus, we pray that as you are glorified, and we begin to see you in the light that you intend yourself to be seen. That we would be changed by that. We love you. We ask these things in your holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. You guys remember the game, 20 Questions? Remember that game? Anybody played that growing up? Anybody played that recently? No, nobody played it recently. Uh, the gist of the game, if you remember, is that you thought of somebody famous either alive or dead, and uh, somebody else would ask you 20 yes or no questions. Now, it had to be yes or no questions, otherwise you could pry more information out of them. That was cheating, so, but you don't want to cheat. 20 yes or no questions that you ask of them to see if you can discover their identity. See if you can figure out who they really are. Well, guys, in week 25 of the story, again, we, we are... I, I thought of it this way. If, how many of you have a, have a DVR kind of thing at the house? Any of you have one of those? If you record a program, you have this ability to fast-forward through the commercials. And uh, my remote, you can hit the fast-forward button three times. So the first time is, is two times speed, and the second time is four times speed, and then the third time is ten times speed. And if you hit it a fourth time, it just plays again. And uh, so, so this is, we've hit the button three times. We're, we're at least going ten times speed through the life and ministry of Jesus, this last section. And, uh, and, and here's all the, the highlights we covered this week. We covered Peter's confession at uh, Caesarea Philippi. We covered the transfiguration, Jesus up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And, and there is Moses. He's speaking with Moses and Elijah. We covered um, the, Jesus predict, predicting his death. He does that multiple times in the text this week. And in chapter 25 of the story, we covered the raising of Lazarus from the dead, his dear friend. Uh, the story of the rich young ruler was this week. We had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which threw everybody off because this is not Palm Sunday. That's actually next week, right? But, uh, but we were like, wait a 
second. And then we had the cleansing, Jesus' cleansing of the temple, uh, his, his declaration that if, if anyone has seen him, they have seen the Father. And then, and then the story concluded with Judas' betrayal. It was a busy week. It's a lot to take in. And, and while the text didn't ask 20 questions, it does ask three questions of the reader. Three questions uh, that I think we honestly need to be able to walk away and answer. Okay, and so that's what we're going to do. You'll notice your notes are a little different this week. They don't look like the standard format. But we're going to walk through the three questions that the text would ask. Okay, and the very first question is this, right? Uh, who is Jesus? Who is, is Jesus? This is kind of the, the highlight, if you will. If you have your Bibles, I'm in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. If you have your copy of the story, I'm on page uh, 353. Page 353, and uh, this, is, this is how it, it went down. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now, the, the location is, is probably important here. Caesarea Philippi was basically the hotbed of idol worship. It was a place where many gods were worshipped. There would no doubt be as they walked around. Uh, they were often carved into the, the, the walls and the cliffs were, were places that idols could be placed. And so this was known as a place of worship of, of the, the false god Baal or the false god uh, also Pan. They would set up statues to emperors to be worshipped in this location. And no doubt as Jesus is walking uh, in, in, in this region and seeing all of these statues and, and all of these idols, uh, he just decides to ask, wait, what about me? What about me? Who, who do the people say I am? And, and, and so there, there's three groups of people that are going to answer this question for us. Who is Jesus? The first group is the crowds. You said, who do the people say I am? Who do the, who do the crowds of the people say I am? And, and, and they say, well, the crowds say a lot of stuff about you, Jesus. In fact, some of them say that you're John the Baptist, which if you think about that, makes absolutely no sense since John the Baptist physically baptized Jesus, right? And then John the Baptist has been beheaded. I, I don't understand how Jesus could be the second coming of John the Baptist if he was alive while John the Baptist was alive. It doesn't make sense, but this is what people are saying. Man, he's, he's doing the kind of work that John the Baptist did, and so they think that maybe he's John the Baptist. And they said, but still there are others that think that you're Elijah. Now this is a tie to that prophecy from Malachi, right? Remember, God stopped speaking in the Old Testament with the book of Malachi, and, and the, the prophecy, the prediction was that one was coming in the power of Elijah, and he was going to turn the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to the children, and he was, he was going to begin this restoration process, and he was going to pave the way for the one that was to come, and they've been waiting on this one, on this Messiah, and, and so they're thinking, well, maybe Jesus is that guy. Maybe he is the one in the spirit of Elijah that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Of course, we know, uh, according to the angel that speaks to Zechariah, that was actually John the Baptist was the one that came in the spirit of Elijah. And so uh, they said, but there's, there's a third guess. Some just think that you're another prophet. That's a big deal. The prophets were very important to the Jews. But again, uh, with Malachi, that kind of ceased. And, and God was silent 
400 years. And then John the Baptist shows up, a voice calling from the wilderness, a great prophet of God. And, and so maybe they think that God is starting a new series of prophets like the Old Testament. And God's going to be with them again. And, and, and ultimately, this will all bring about the coming of the Messiah. And here's the problem in all of these guesses. These people that had spent time with Jesus, these people, some of which had been healed by Jesus, they've watched him healing people, they, they have heard him teach, they still don't see who he truly is. What, what, what they assign to him is the role of a predecessor. The role of someone that will pave the way for the Messiah that they believe will come, which they believe will be a political uh, and, and, and warrior king. That's their desire. A political warrior that will, will, will rise Israel to a world power status again. So that's who the people say they are. And so then Jesus makes the question a little more personal. In verse 29, he says, but what about you guys? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? So the second answer to the question, who is Jesus, arises from Peter. And Peter speaks up and he says, well, you are the Messiah, the, the, the son of the living God. That's, that's who you are. And, and, and Jesus, well, blessed are you, Peter, for this wasn't revealed to you by, by man, right? But this was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And he says, you know what? Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, what Jesus means there is not, not upon Peter. Peter is not the one that the church is built upon, okay? This wasn't some kind of process of saints now, and he's going to be the first one, and he's the first pope, and he's, he's the first. Like, that's not what Jesus is speaking. He's talking about the declaration, because, because and, and here's why. Because the word that Jesus uses for church is not building. The word that Jesus uses for church is not temple. They had those words. That's not the word he chooses. He says, Peter, upon this rock, upon this declaration of faith, that I, Jesus, the Christ, am the Messiah. That's, that's who I am. Jesus of Nazareth, upon this declaration, this belief that I am the Messiah, I will build my ecclesia. My gathering of people that will be called by my name. It's huge. It's huge. It's, 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 it's a big moment. And so Jesus asked a question. The text asked a question, well, who is this Jesus? And, and first the crowds answer, three wrong answers. Then Peter answers and he nails it. And then for the rest of our time in the text, Jesus answers it. He expounds on it. There's three great statements that he will make about himself that shed light on what this means. Uh, what, what does this declaration from Peter really mean? What does it mean that Jesus is, is the Messiah? And, and so Jesus is going to explain that. And so the third person to answer the question, who is Jesus, is Jesus himself. And he answers with three claims. And here is the first. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. When Jesus makes this declaration, it is at the end of one of the great feasts of the Jews. It's called the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of, of the Booths. And it was a week-long feast where they would, they would build for themselves booths or tents to sleep in. 
They wouldn't sleep in their homes. They would sleep in these, these, these booths or these tents. And, and, and it was supposed to remind them of a time that God was with them when, when they, they escaped from Egypt and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And, and it was a big deal. And so they would sleep in these booths and they would also, they built these huge menorahs, these huge, uh, basically, candles. And, and they would light these things. And, 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 and it says, literally, that it was so bright that every corner of the city would be glowing from these huge menorahs that were built, and, and the menorahs were meant to remind them of the pillar cloud. The pillar cloud was the cloud that led them out of Egypt. It's the cloud that went between them and the army of the Egyptians to save them. It's the cloud that led them through their wanderings. It would, it would tell them when to pack up and to leave. It would tell them when to stop. At night, it would settle down amongst them and glow with warmth and fire so they wouldn't freeze to death. It was a sign of God's presence with His people. It was a sign of God's protection for His people. And it was a sign of God's guidance for His people. And Jesus says, that's me. That's me. You want to know who I am? I am the light of the world. That's me. I, I am God in your midst. That's who I am. I, I am God and I have come to protect you from the evil one. I am God and I have come to guide you back to the Father. I am the light of the world. So Jesus begins to answer this great question, who is he? His second declaration sheds even more light. He makes this claim to a group of Jews that, that claim that they know God. They say, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our, our father. And, and they're upset because Jesus says, well, you know what? Um, God actually should be your father, not Abraham. And if God were your father, you guys would love me. You'd love me. And they're astounded by that. I'm in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, I'm going to read uh, verse 56 through 58. And, and the text, I encourage you, you go back and you can start in 48 this week if you want to go back and reread this. But this is what Jesus says to them starting in verse 56. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it a long way off is what it means. He saw it and he was glad. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And there it is. The most open declaration in Jewish language that Jesus will ever make is right here. In, in John chapter 8, verse 58, he speaks in a plain language to his people. Now that statement doesn't make sense to us because we're not Jewish. But it would make complete sense to the Jews who had studied the Old Testament and knew it by heart. Because this is the statement that God ultimately will make when he speaks to Moses at the burning bush. Right? And, and so he speaks to, they also called Moses their father, remember? And so he speaks to Moses at the burning bush. He says, Moses, you know, come on, take off your, your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt where you've run from. And you're going to go to my people. And then you're going to go before Pharaoh. And you're going to say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And you're going to lead my people. You're going to be their deliverer. You're going to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh, out of the hands of slavery. I'm going to use you to do this. And, 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 and you're going to lead them into the promised land. And, and Moses says, no, 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 no. Who am I, Lord? Like, I speak with a stutter. I, I, I can't do this. The first question he asks, God, who am I? But then the second question he'll ask is, God, wait a second, who are you? If I'm going to do this, if you're going to 
give me Aaron and, and I can go before them and all these things. Wait, who do I tell them sent me? And that's where God says this in Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God says, I am who I am. That's what you go tell them. And so forever, uh, the Israelites knew that, that this phrase, I am, was God. It's just, just who God is. And so Jesus openly declares here to these people that that's who I am. I am God. I am God in your midst. Last revelation, last claim comes with the death of his dear friend Lazarus. And again, I want to read to you from the text so I don't just tell the story. I'm in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to read for a bit. Um, Most of this is found at the bottom of page 358 in the story. The bottom of page 358 in the story. I want to make sure it's all there. Let's see. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now there's a comma there. It's going to say some more. But if you pause there, that that sentence doesn't make sense. Jesus loved him so much that when he heard he was sick, he stayed there two more days. It goes on, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now here's the part that shows his love. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples uh, replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus, of course, had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay? And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us now go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I think the word sweetie should be in there, right? Loved one, my dear, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says, I know that he's going to rise again at the resurrection. At the resurrection, you see. Martha says, I know that he's going to rise at the resurrection. And then Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not about believing in it. It's not about believing in an event at some future date, my dear. It's about believing in me. Do you believe in me? For I am the resurrection and the life. And this is where the story gets good. This is where the whole story is heading. This Jesus will not just be resurrected. No, he is the resurrection and he is the life. They will kill him, but the grave will not keep him, right? Because Lazarus is a picture of something that greater that is coming. Like Lazarus is raised from the dead. He's resurrected physically, But eventually he will die again. But Jesus is using him as a picture of a better thing that is coming. Nay, not a thing, rather a better person that is coming for us. A person that will raise us to a spiritual life from which we can never die. Jesus says, I am that. I am He. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus will cure our sin problem. He will provide a way for us to come back to God. Not through an event but through himself. I am the resurrection life. So our first question is, who is Jesus? We have the answers of the crowd. They're wrong. We have the answer of Peter. He nails it. And then we have the explanation from Jesus. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay. I'm the light of the world. Before Abraham, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Okay? Second question the text asks. Why has he come? Okay, now now I know who Jesus is, but why on earth has he come? Perhaps you picked up picked up on that question this week. It was actually scattered throughout our our reading uh, in many places. Jesus actually mentions it on multiple occasions. My favorite occasion is found in John chapter 12, and I'm going to read that to you from John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. We're going to read all the way through 33. John chapter 12, verse 20. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said, 
uh, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Why has Jesus come? He has come to die. That's why. Jesus came for this very reason. To be lifted up. That's what he says. For this very reason, for this very hour, I have come. What should I say? Father, rescue me from this? No, Father, be glorified in this. For I have come, the Son of Man has come to be lifted up, to be hung on a cross, to die in the place of sinners, right? To be crucified. God Himself, God in our midst, God in our place, dying the death that we deserve. And maybe we should have seen it coming, but no one did. No one did. No one thought this was God's solution to our sin problem. No one thought that the Messiah would come as a servant king that would die in their place. No one could grasp it. But what else would work? Think about that for a minute. The wages of sin is death. What other sacrifice would work? Who would be valuable enough to pay for the price of sin, uh, which is death, for all of mankind, for whosoever believes? Who would be valuable enough to pay that price? And the answer can only be God himself. So this is why Jesus has come. Jesus has come to suffer. He's come to be rejected. He's come to be beaten, spat upon. Lied about, nailed to a cross, where he will hang and asphyxiate, suffocate slowly. He's come to die for our sin. Our sin. We like to say for sin because we don't like to own it. No, Jesus came to die. For our sin. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, hear me, this Jesus did not just come to die. Yes, he came to die in our place, the sacrificial death that we deserve. He came to pay the price of our sin. But he did not just come to die. No, he is not just uh, death. It's not who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he did not just come to die and to pay the ransom for our sin, but rather he came to die and then to conquer death, to be resurrected, to to, to, to live eternally. He's come to die, to conquer death, to rise again, to ascend into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us. He came to provide a way, to pave a way for us so that we can be brought back to God. So the people of God should say hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is why he's come. Those are the first two questions that the text asks, right? Who is Jesus? Why has he come? Now there is one more question, but you're not going to find it written out quite as simple in the text, but it is whispered by the Holy Spirit as you read the text. And the third question is this. What do you believe? 
What do you believe? To the disciples, Jesus would phrase this question this way. Who do you say I am? He says, what do you believe? To Martha, he will phrase the question differently. He'll say, do you believe this? And this isn't an event. This is a person. It's him. Do you believe in me, Martha? That I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus asked Martha the same question that he asked all who follow her. Do you believe in me? And here's the deal, okay? At this point in the story, we have to recognize this. Jesus is one of three things, okay? Either, either at this point, with all that we have studied, to the point that we've got, either Jesus is the biggest liar that has ever been, the best charlatan, the best magician to ever walk the face of the earth. Either, either he had parlor tricks that nobody had ever known before, as he could turn 120 to 180 gallons of water into choice wine, as he could somehow walk on, on, on the waves of a storm, as he could stand up and say, be still, and, and suddenly the storm would stop, as lepers could come to him and be cleansed, as, as lame men could be lowered through roofs, and, and he could say to them, not only get up and walk, but your sins are forgiven, now take up your and go home. Or he could look at blind men and say, uh, now I say you can see. Or he could lay over a dead girl that had, had quote unquote just fallen asleep and he could just pray over her and say little girl wake up and she could come back to life. Uh, either, either he is the greatest magician whom a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years and was desperate and destitute, she'd spent all her money and her condition had gotten worse and she could, she could work her way somehow with as little energy as she had and grab the, the hem of his garment and be healed. Either he is the greatest charlatan on the face of the planet or something else. Second option, he's a lunatic. He's just playing crazy, right? And that, that, that is an option if you ignore all the miracles. If Jesus just came saying, I am, that's who I am, I'm God, listen to me, do what I say, give me all your money, surrender your houses, make me, make me king, make me rule. That's what the I am people of our generation would say. Ones that would come and say, I'm a prophet of God, just give me all your money, just trust me with everything, just listen to what I say. What I say is equal to scripture, right? I mean, I mean, if you were in that day and somebody showed up and they said, I, I'm God, and let me tell you, I'm here to show you what God really believes. Now, now, without the miracles of Jesus, you might say, that guy's a lunatic, that guy's crazy. Yet Jesus taught not with the authority that, that, that the teachers of that day thought with, taught with, which was, which was a power. They taught with a power that they held over all the other people. It was, I'm better than you. I know more than you. I'm, I'm more religious than you. I'm more righteous than you. It, it was, you came to church in order that they could make themselves exalted in your sight and you walked away just feeling like you could never attain their status. And yet Jesus comes and he doesn't hang out with those people. He goes to the people that already felt like they were nothing and nobody and there's no way they could, they could add up. They could make it. And he comes and he eats with them. And he spends time with them and he says, God loves you. And God loves you. He, he never looks past their sin, but he doesn't just beat them up about it. He, just, he says, listen, I, I see your sin. Don't do it anymore. Follow me instead, right? So, so listen, either Jesus is... The greatest liar in the history of the world. 
And, and, and he's just a big charlatan magician that did all this stuff. Or he's a lunatic. But if you think he's a lunatic, you have to ignore all the miracles. There's a third option. Then he has to be who he says he is. If he is not a liar, if he's not a charlatan, if he's not a magician, and he's not a lunatic and he's not crazy because he's done all these things, then the only other option is that he must truly be Lord. He must truly be Lord. And that's what Jesus asked of Martha. What do you believe? So this morning, I'm going to just ask you simply that same question. Just what do you believe? Is Jesus just a historical figure that was a good teacher? Is Jesus just somebody that showed up on the map of history and did things like nobody else? So you're interested in that because, like Simon the Sorcerer in the book of Acts, you think that's some power you can tap into. You just want life to be better. You want to be more successful. That's self-help. You can get that stuff at Barnes & Noble. There's a whole section of that stuff. Jesus didn't come for that. If he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, then he has to be Lord. Then he really is who he claims to be. Then he is the great I am. Then he is the light of the world. Then he is the resurrection and the life. Then he's the one that came to bring us back to God. Then he's the one that died in our place, that conquered death, that rose again, that ascended into heaven, where he's preparing a place for us. He's the one that wants to live at the very center of our lives. I want to tell you what that means because maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you never really grasped it because it does not mean that he just lives in our heart. When Jesus says, I want to be at the center of your lives, he's not talking about any one particular organ. He's not saying, I want to just control your thoughts. I want to be in the center of your brain because lots of people think about Jesus and they think all kinds of things about Jesus, but it doesn't change them. He's also not meaning that he wants to just live in your heart, which is the famous Christian prayer we all pray today. I just want to ask Jesus into my heart. Well, your heart is deceitful above all else and beyond cure, so it would be a good place for him to start. But when Jesus says, I want to be Lord of your life, what he means is he wants to be in the depths of who you are. He wants to control the very deepest desires, thoughts, actions, feelings. He he wants to take over the deep-rooted lies that you have believed about yourself, about this world, and about God. And he wants to uproot even that kind of stuff. It is a depth to which I dare say many of us have never thought God wanted to go that deep. And that is what Lord means. I'm going to submit to you this morning, that's what Jesus deserves. If he's not a liar, and he's not a lunatic, and he truly is Lord, then he deserves to be our Lord. You say, how do I make that happen? Some of you have prayed prayers before, and you've said, God, I just want you to take over my life, and that's great. And if if you're killing it right now, that's awesome. I always think there's two groups of people in a room like this. The first group is the person that doesn't know how to do this at all. And they're here and they're new to this and they've heard some of it, but they go, I just, I just don't even know where to begin. And um, it begins, I think, when you're that person with a confession that says, hey, I don't know everything. 
Jesus, I, I just want to talk to you for a second, and I, I don't know everything, and I've just kind of started this journey with you, but, but so far what I've read about you, I can tell right now that you are not a liar and you are not a lunatic, which means you must be Lord. So I don't know how this works, but I want you to come and be that for me. Just come into my life and just, just work. <laughs> just, just go down deep in me. Change me from the inside out. You pray that prayer and, and, and God says that at that moment you will be saved. You'll be saved. But salvation is not just a one-time event. Though it, though it is that, it's also much more than that. See, the moment that Jesus comes into our life and begins to reign in Lord, then we have to make sure he stays on the throne. That's at the very center. We have a bad tendency to try to push Jesus around. <laughs> Uh, Lord, Lord, don't, no, 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 not in charge of my love life. No, 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 I got that. I got that, Lord. You can be in charge of everything else, not my love life. No, 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 okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'm married, you can be in charge of my love life now. Now. But you cannot be in charge of my finances. Nope, I got that one, Lord. I'll give you your little bit. You're not in right, I got this, I got this. I mean, surely you made me in your image so that I can be your image bearer. You can trust me with this, it'll be great. Trust me with the finances. No, worry, Lord, no. I know you say not to worry. I'm not worrying, I'm planning. That's so why I'm up two in the morning, Lord. I'm planning. First group of people, you've never accepted Christ. I'm not here. To, I'm, not, I'm not one of those hellfire brimstone try to scare you preachers, but the, the Bible says that when we die, we'll all face judgment. And we will all be judged, either according to our acts, which the Bible says that all of our acts are like filthy rags before God, and that we, there's no way we could, we could spend the rest of our lives doing the best things possible, and yet we're still sinners. We're not perfect. God's holy and perfect. So, so we would stand, and we, we would, that judgment would not go well. Or we get to stand judgment before God and say, God, I'm all those things you see, but I'm all those things covered by Jesus Christ, who's my Lord. And he was perfect for me. And God will say, welcome home. Okay? So that's coming. So if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, I, I want to implore you here in a minute. We're just going to have a time of prayer. Uh, some of you, though, are Christians, and we have all kinds of churchy words for this that I hate. Hate them all. Maybe for you it's a rededication day. We've got that on our little card. You can click rededication. What does that mean? I think it means, oh, I have not been living like you are Lord. I haven't been living like you want the depths of me. I've been thinking about you a lot. Oh, I've been passionate about you. But I have not been living for you. And maybe for you as a Christian, it's a simple prayer. I am sorry, Jesus. Take your proper place in my life again.